The reading today is taken from Psalm 1, which can be found on page 536 in your Bibles, which are um, under the seats in front of you. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Good morning, everyone. Great to have you here. Let me just make one comment, um, not related to the sermon, but to do with Karen Ferguson's funeral. Uh, Karen sadly passed away on Thursday. I know she was much loved and known by many of you here. The funeral will be on Thursday at one o'clock. I'll be conducting it and Peter Kerr is coming back to speak on that day. Uh, Peter used to be her small group leader for many years. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here. It's such a privilege to meet and to worship you and to be able to hear from your word. And Father, as we begin this journey today, seeking to go to deeper places in our lives under you, may you speak to us and Father, help us to respond and have a passion to know you in ever-increasing ways and deeper ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was young and I was a child, life, I think, was pretty simple. You went to school midweek, you had sport on Saturdays, depending whether it was winter or summer, rugby or cricket, and there was church on Sunday, and I used to sing in the choir. And occasionally there were special occasions. Very occasionally, my mother would take us out to a restaurant, and that was a great joy. There'd be treats birthdays and of course Christmas, uh, the great excitement of the pillowcase pinned to the bed and you'd wake up in the morning and find what had been stuffed inside. I do remember waking up one morning hearing the squeak of a foam KFC surfboard. It was so exciting. Let me say, I think it lasted two weeks before we snapped it at freshwater. That was not exciting. And as you grew up as a child, and my memories were this, there were basically three or four messages that were kind of drummed into me. And I don't think I'm alone in this. The first was, do what my mother says. Life will be so much better. And let me say, she's a very wonderful woman, and that was the first rule of life. Second was, follow the rules. In other words, wherever you are, make sure you do what is required and what the rules state. Follow the rules. And thirdly, work hard. If you want to do well in life, those three things will serve you well. And occasionally you would hear, remember God loves you. Now if you did this, apparently, I was told, life would turn out okay. And as a child, I believed the advice. But then I was growing up realising that everyone else had a dad and I didn't. And you start to reflect on that. When I was eight... I thought playing chicken on the Pacific Highway was fun. 
until my friend was mown down by a car and killed. I entered high school and I thought the advice on drugs and my mum being a doctor did lay it on, was a bit heavy-handed, until your classmate had become permanently affected by marijuana taking such that he developed serious schizophrenia and become permanently delusional and paranoid before he'd finished his HSC. And he still suffers with that to this very day at the age of 53. You thought everyone was equal until you saw your friend, Simon Anakapu, who was from Papua New Guinea and boarded at the school I was at, racially vilified on the sport field, even clean, hit and knocked out by an opponent. And the opponent ran past us and said, well, he was only black. And if that wasn't bad enough, when I spoke with Simon, he told me he would get extra detentions from one particular schoolmaster because he was black. Happened to be the deputy. And so you grow up and you realise, actually, life is not just that simple. The world is a much more complex place than we live in. And oh, if we could only have the simplicity of childhood every day where you just have to follow what mum says, keep to the rules and work hard and life will be okay. The question comes in this world we live in, if life is not that simple, where does faith fit? Now, last year we went through an onerous survey. Um, it's probably the low point, I think, of church life, having to fill in a survey for 25 minutes. But we do get some very, very important information back from it. And I will email out the results to everyone in the coming weeks. I had enough in this week's email. I thought I'll leave it for another week or two. Now, in terms of thinking about the results and the simple and the complex world we live in, it's interesting from the National Church Life Survey, uh, the things that you highly valued, 58%, the highest, was the Bible teaching and the sermons. And so I felt good about that. Thank you for your uh, warm endorsement of what goes on here on a Sunday from the platform and during the week. Um, 48%, this was the second highest thing, said traditional or contemporary music style of worship. And basically, when you put the numbers together, there was a number for the contemporary and a number for traditional. It actually matched statistically and um, numerically the numbers who come at eight and the rest of the services. And that was the second highest thing when you collided them together. In other words, people enjoy coming to church on a Sunday. And they value it. Now, what stood out, though, was there was another section which asked you, what would you most like us to give attention to? In other words, you're telling me, as senior minister, this is what you need to work on, Bruce. And the highest thing, 48%, almost one in two persons said, give spiritual growth or direction top priority. And my reflection on that was, okay... What you're saying, I think, is this. People like coming to church and they enjoy it, and not just enjoy it, they appreciate the ministry that goes on here and they find it beneficial. But yet, if they were honest, they might say something like this to themselves. If there was a moment, if I can say, of clarity, that perhaps their faith was not as deep as they'd like it to be, perhaps there was even a shallowness to the faith that they'd like to replace with a deeper experience of God and his love. And if I ask people, well, how do you actually feel about God? 
I wonder if we were honest, a few, maybe even more might say, you know what, sometimes I just feel nothing. Beyond brief moments of inspiration and a basic underlying conviction that there is a God, I struggle to attain anything more than a remote and abstract idea that God is there. And so we have this series, Deeper Places, that's reflecting on your responses, but also the reality of life, that I think in this world we live in, we sometimes struggle to go deeper in our walk with Christ. And what this series will outline, and what I want us to do, is not, if I can say, put forward a heavenly spirituality that is pietistic, praise the Lord, but yet shallow, but rather an earthly spirituality that will capture the present tension between what we have already in Christ, and we have it all, it's worth saying, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms, but yet it remains unfulfilled in so many ways. And we live in a world that is not heaven. And we want to have a deeper walk and experience of God in our lives today, not just when we get to heaven. And what we're going to do is go to the Psalms. And John Calvin, the famous 16th century reformer, wrote this about the book of Psalms. He said, I've been wont to call this book, not inappropriately, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. In other words, through all the ups and downs of life, the experiences of the soul will be seen in this book that we call the Psalms, which is really a book of songs. In other words, we're looking at the Psalms to explore growing deep in our faith because there's a spirituality presented there from the lives of believers who have wrestled with and found joy and contentment in their relationship with God in all the experiences of life. Not just some, but all. Both good and bad. Both easy and difficult. And the Psalms call us into a deeper life by acknowledging the trials of life and faith and then inviting us to experience God in the midst of them. You see, the Psalms are not just to be read, they're intended to be done. They're actually a book of songs. And that's why the final week, we're having the sons of Korah come. And the only songs they write, I mean the only songs they write, are actually the songs in the Psalms. Their entire repertoire are Psalms. And they've basically put them to music in a contemporary fashion. And we're actually going to sit here and engage with that in the final week. These psalms will show us what authentic spirituality looks like and importantly, they're actually going to keep pointing us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just give you a few words of introduction to the psalms. Um, for those who are not familiar with them, there's actually 150 of them and when I say psalms, I mean songs. There's 150 songs here. Some are very short, there's one that's incredibly long, Psalm 119, uh, which basically takes the Hebrew alphabet and it has a stanza for each letter in the alphabet as it goes through. And you'll actually see that in some of the Bibles, uh, the Hebrew letter, you can see Aleph, which is the first, uh, and it goes all the way through. 
Now, of those 150 Psalms, there's actually five books. If you've got your Bibles, open up this morning. We're going to start with Psalms 1 and 2. We're at page 536. And you'll see there, um, there's a little introductory note about the Psalms. And then it says, Book 1. There's actually five books. Now, if you want to understand how the books work, I sent a link to a talk by Andrew Sheed, Old Testament lecturer. If you want an in-depth, master's-level course on the Psalms in one hour... Listen to this talk. I went to it. It was brilliant and breathtaking, but I want to listen to it three times because there's so much packed in. And he takes you through how the Psalms work in terms of all the books. It's incredible. We're looking at bookworm, bookworm, book one today. Uh, And when you have the Psalms, there's an introduction and there's a conclusion. Now, the introduction is two Psalms. And historically, Psalms 1 and 2 have been the introduction to the Psalter, that's what they call the Psalms, and Psalms 146 to 150 are the conclusion. Now, they are called the Hallelujah Chorus. Why? Each of Psalms 146, 7, 8, 9 and 50 start with one word, guess what it is? Hallelujah, which is two Hebrew words, Halei and Yah, which is the word for praise and for God. That's where you get Yahweh, Okay. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But in the middle of this vast book, there's songs about everything. And we're going to look at some of them. Now, let me encourage you, the devotional book will also point you to others of them. What we're looking at today is Psalms 1 and 2. They are the introduction. And I want to start with Psalm 1. And then I'm going to move to Psalm 2. Let's read, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked, they are like chaff. That the wind blows away, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now this psalm opens with what you might call a simple formula for discovering the happy or blessed life. In other words, it lays out a promise to us that there's a life that if you live it, It's going to lead to blessing or happiness. Now, the word that is used there for blessing is the word also for happiness. And this psalm basically introduces the book of Psalms by saying, this is the formula for life, for happiness. Let me take it through. There's two key things it says at the start in verses 1 and 2. How you live matters to God. And how you live can have the impact to bring blessing on your life. And there's three things that it said there, how a person walks, what they stand for, and whom they sit with. Yeah, okay, James? Do you want to grab a seat? Cool. So how you live and who you hang out with will have massive implications for your life. And if you want to have a deeper experience of God, live this way, is what Psalm 1 is saying. Fellowship with his people, stand for his causes. Live the way God wants you to. Now, let me just say, some of us are not experiencing joy and blessing 
for this simple reason. You're not living the way God wants you to. And it's that simple. Uh, You're not walking with God's people. Uh, You're not enjoying regular fellowship. You're not standing for godly principles. You're not living God's way. And see, the reality is that will catch up with you sooner or later. And the simple truth of life is live God's way, fellowship with his people, stand for his principles, and it will bring blessing on your life. And the second thing that it says is you need to look at what you desire. Verse 2. The one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night, that is the one who will be blessed. And so it's not just how we live, it's what we desire. And the law of the Lord is his instruction, it's his Torah, it's his word that we have in Scripture. It is the Scriptures. And the blessed person, their delight, their love is for the word of God. And so the instruction is delight in this book. Read it. Do what it says. And blessing will flow upon your life. Who is the one who's blessed? It's the one who delights. They love the instruction of God and they meditate on it day and night. It's one of the reasons why we want to keep encouraging people every day to read your Bible and hear God speak to you. We've put these together to help people do that. Now let me say, they're not in your packs for these two reasons. One is, I always find it easier to get people to pick up these in the packs. You just kind of forget. Um, And so we've got them at the doorways. But also, we wanted to make sure there was enough for everyone. If you want some for your family, you can take as many as you want. They're also downloadable from the website. I've put the link in my email. And so do take one and use them and reflect upon Scripture and particularly the Psalms over these six weeks. This is the blessing and this is the promise of God. And then there is a very clear statement that says this. That person, i.e. the one who lives God's way and who delights in his word and meditates on it, they're actually going to be like this. They're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and out of season. So God is going to bless you. Now, that photo, do you know where it's from? You probably don't, do you? It's from Norfolk Island. I've never seen such abundance of fruit growing on that island. That is the front yard of Dave Fell's rectory. That is an avocado tree. Can you see how many avocados are just sitting there rotting? (laughs) Now, he has not one, but two trees. And there's two different types of avocado. Let me just say, when I was over there for a week, I actually worked on this series. I've never eaten so much avocado in my life. I got sick of avocado. You talk to the fellas, it's like, oh, yeah, who wants avocado? I'm sick of it now. End of the season. That's how many, that's just one part of the tree. You can see there's another whole side to it. Uh, Where I was staying, the neighbours had a grapefruit tree. It was just like this. They had an orange tree. It was just like this. It was just abundance. Now, I show you that photo because, you see, that's the promise that's being made here. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And then the psalm ends with this warning. Note, if you don't live this way, there is judgment. Not so the wicked. In other words, the blessing of God is not on them. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And you can just hear my mother speaking to me. Do what I say, follow the rules, work hard, remember God loves you. Life will be 
Simple. Let's have a look at Psalm 2. If only it was that simple, we all say. And I think it's not just fascinating, but very telling that Psalm 2 follows straight after Psalm 1. What do we find in Psalm 2, the second part of the introduction to the Psalter? Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Why do the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's break their chains, let's throw off their shackles? Well, the one enthroned in heaven, what does he do? He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I've become your father. Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron, you'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so hot on the heels of the simplicity of a life of blessing by living God's way and desiring his word, you see these Psalms are written in a very complex world. The nations are conspiring against God. In other words, they're against God. And you're to live out your faith in a world that is opposed to God. And the leaders rule without thought of God. In fact, the picture is this. It's of chains and shackles being broken and thrown off. Because the world thinks that the way of God is really like a chain that just has you in a prison, not frees you and brings blessing. And this is the nature of the world that we have to live out our faith in, one that's opposed to God, that ridicules God and that will see the Christian faith as anything but blessing, but rather constriction, not something that brings joy and happiness. Verse 4 to 9, God, is he afraid? No, his response is to laugh. He rules from on high. He's not threatened by anyone, no matter how powerful the leader, and he will act. That's the message. The world is against God, but God will act. And the action that he is spoken of here is of him sending his anointed one, his king, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I'll proclaim the Lord's decree, he said. You are my son, today I've become your father. And you see here at the very beginning that the Psalms will point us forward to a day when a king is installed who is the son. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you'll know these words uttered here in verse 7 are spoken over Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Today you are my son, I've become your father. 
And the Psalms look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. God will act and he will send his king, his son, who will come and rule the world. And the call of this psalm is for the rulers of the world and everyone else to serve the Lord and to kiss his son, which I take it means to worship him. The sense of bowing down and acknowledging you are the king, we worship you. Or judgment will flow. And what's required in this psalm is to flee to the Son for refuge and to trust Him. And it's interesting that the word refuge is introduced here at Psalm 2. Psalm 1, it's very clear, there's the wicked and there's those who are honouring God. But Psalm 2, actually, faith is to be lived out in the context of conflict, of opposition, of trouble, of needing refuge. And when you go from Psalm 3 to Psalm 145, there's 142 Psalms there, 33 times God is called a refuge or a shelter. In other words, one of the significant experiences of life is that you will need to find refuge and protection and help in times of trouble. And all of a sudden, the simplicity of Psalm 1 seems to just slowly erode away as you realise you're going to have to live out this faith in a very complex and dangerous world that is opposed to God. And you will not just need salvation, you will need refuge at the same time. So do you want to be blessed? I take it, yes. I mean, who doesn't want to be blessed? Well, you need to hear Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together. You need to live his way and not just follow his word, but delight in his word. But you're going to need to flee to the Son for refuge and protection and salvation as the one who will protect you and save you. Let me stop and ask the question, do we really want to grow deeper in our walk with God and know his blessing on our life and know the reality of him working in our life? I think if we want that and we want God's blessing on us, there's three things we need to do. Firstly, we need honesty. If we are to get in touch with God in a deeper way, it actually means also getting in touch with ourselves and where we're at under God and the reality of our own situation and what we're grappling with. We cannot experience God and his grace while we live in a fantasy world of denial about who we are under God. We actually have to be honest about what we're going through, what we're struggling with, how we are living or how we're not living. And the Word of God will confront us at all sorts of ways about the reality of our human condition and my personal experience of it. My brokenness, my sinfulness, my emptiness, my aloneness. And the struggle of faith needs to acknowledge that if I'm to know God in a deeper way. 
That's what you will see in the Psalms. There's no hiding, there's no pretense. There's a raw honesty that comes in these songs. And they're sung out of the experience of a a world that is sometimes very painful and very dark and not that simple. And so we must have honesty and descend into the valley of reality before we can climb the mountain of joy, which no doubt we're going to get to. And it is worth noting the end of the journey of, if I can say, this life where there's simplicity but complexity is the Hallelujah Chorus. We're going to get there, but only when we descend through the reality of what life throws at us. And so secondly, we need honesty. We've actually got to embrace complexity. And what I mean by that is we've got to realise that there's going to be questions that we're going to have that we may never have answers to. We're going to have difficulties where we think, I really am finding this difficult to work through. I'm finding life complex in a way I can't understand it. And to grow deeper with God means abandoning the notion that life under God is always simple. Where you just do what your parents told you, follow the rules, work hard and trust in God. It ain't like that a lot of the time. And so thirdly, with honesty and an embracement of complexity... We actually need to call on God in prayer. And that's why the Psalms are so helpful. Because they actually give voice, they give language to all the things that we will struggle with in life. And sometimes you may not even be able to pray, but you can just read a Psalm that expresses your heart. And so you can express joy when you're happy, which is a great thing. You can show gratitude when you're feeling blessed. But you're actually allowed to complain when you feel let down by God. You're actually allowed to cry when you feel abandoned in life by friends or even by God himself. One of the most profound Psalms is Psalm 88 and it finishes with this phrase, darkness is actually my closest friend. And when we're in need, we can call out and ask God to help us. When we rage because we sense injustice, we can cry out and say, God, I just don't think that's right. And when we see goodness, we can delight. But when we experience hardship, we can lament. And when we come into bounty and blessing, we can celebrate and rejoice and you see that's the beauty of the psalms it actually encapsulates all of the human condition and the complexities of life in this world and it still maintains faith in the midst of it and growing deeper i think in knowing god is about actually how you hold on to your faith as you travel through this complex world and know that there is a god who does love you And one day, we'll welcome you home. The Psalms take us on a beautiful spiritual journey that's beyond the token piety of read your Bible, do what it says, go to church and pray, as useful and as correct as all three of those things are. 
The Psalms call us to a deeper life that acknowledges the trials of life and to have a faith that invites us to experience God in them, not apart from them. And they're not just meant to be read, they're intended to be done and spoken and sung and used because they show what an authentic spirituality really looks like. Now, I'm going to stop at this point and I'm going to get Max Boys up for an interview and then I'm going to invite us to pray. Just hang on one sec, Max. I want to say this to us today. We need honesty and we've got to embrace the complexity of life. And we need to do that by praying. And what I'm inviting us to do over the next couple of weeks is to have special times of prayer. Not just to hear the message and go away and have morning tea or go grab a coffee at one of the coffee shops. But to do business with God. And that's why the band is down here. We have a beautiful building. One part we don't use a lot in these services is the sanctuary. And I don't believe that that's a more special place than this place. But it's a helpful place. And it's a set-aside place. And it's set aside to do business with God. And so we're going to use all of the building today. And I'm going to invite us to come up and to pray about where you are with God. But to give you some encouragement, I thought we'd get our wonderful pastoral care minister, uh, Max Boys, up. And I'm just going to ask Max two questions. Come on up, Max. Good to see you again, Max. Thank you, Bruce. Nice to see you. Pity about the Wanderers last night and Andrew, but anyway. <laughs> I did all right. They're okay. Um, Max, why is prayer so fundamental for growing deeper in our walk with God? In many ways, I just think that uh, your message this morning is, is covered so well. Um, but I just sort of think to myself about the Lord Jesus as the supreme example and the model of prayer. And yet, here he was in this intimate relationship with his father, a perfect relationship of love. And yet... Here he was always going to prayer. And I think that's our model. And we see in Romans where Paul says that the Lord's will for us is that we, can be, we be conformed to the image of his son. And I think, well, the son was a man of prayer. Uh, and that's where he wants to lead us to. And I think um, with, within the intimacy of prayer, it's like a crucible of all that can happen and when you sort of talk about the psalms you sort of you see the psalmist and he starts off in a sense disorientated from the world and from this sort of um, complex world that he's living in and then as he prays it, it seems that he then there's a revelation from God that leads him then to hope and then he calls upon everyone else to come come on and put your trust in God too and there's this constant movement of the psalmist like that and I think what happens in prayer is that we find ourselves aligning ourselves with the will of God. We find ourselves appropriating the promises of God. And we take hold of that promise where Jesus says, Come to me, all who travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's a strange phenomena, but in this exercise of prayer, as it were, in the one sense we have this rest, but on the other hand, 
there is this yoking with him and that understanding of him, that apprehension, that knowing and being known and growing in that knowledge and deepening in faith and hope and love. Fantastic, Max. Um, Second and last question. People could just sit in their seats and pray. I'm actually going to invite people up to the communion rail Mm. to pray and some people might feel a bit daunted by that. Um, And it kind of works if we all partake, not just two people who feel kind of lost and alone up there. I mean, I'll be up there and you'll be with me, Max, so (laughs) come and join me, friends. Um, What word of encouragement would you have for people to get out of their seats and actually come Mm. forward and pray at the communion rail as a special time of prayer? First of all, it is a wonderful opportunity, isn't it, to respond to a message in this this way. And we have this great space here and uh, that opportunity to come and to do that. It's a a strange thing, isn't it? But when we move physically, make a move physically, we get up over the seats, we kind of find ourselves, we maybe even take ourselves by surprise, oh, I'm doing it. And uh, there's that sense that we, we, we then, in our spirits, catch up with what we're physically doing. And I think it's a great opportunity. And uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that verse of scripture from Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and, and eat with them and they with me. And there's that, come on, you know, that sort of, I'm ready, I'm waiting for you. Will you come and you pray? Now, of course, you can pray in your seat, um, and many of us will. But I trust that over these weeks that we will come and we'll take this opportunity to either pray on our own or to, um, to pray with somebody. And as we do, the reality is, is that we come to God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, and it's Jesus who's drawn us near through his shed blood. And the Holy Spirit will then do a work within us, a transforming work. And so I just say, um, I'd love to encourage you to do this. Thank you, Max. So what we're going to do, I'm going to go up with staff and the prayer team, and we're going to pray first, and the musicians, and I'm going to invite you to come up. And if you would like just to pray quietly, just pray quietly. If you'd like someone to pray for you, just put your hand up. You might not quite know the words to say, and you want someone to pray for you, just put your hand up and one of the prayer team will be in the sanctuary and they will pray for you. Uh, and while that's happening, we've got some music that Dave and Dave are going to put on and they're going to have some songs as well just to quietly sing, uh, just to create an atmosphere of dedication to God. Come and join us in a minute.